Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. It's, I guess, wait, actually, we need to start saying Merry Christmas, right? It's December. It's great to see you here on this first Sunday of, uh, of the Christmas month. Uh, boy, it didn't feel like it, did it? Uh, guys, hard to put on a Christmas sweater when it's, what, 70 degrees today? Holy cow, it's like Christmas in Arizona. Uh, a, a, a little bit different for us here. Thank you for coming out in the rain. Man, what a great crowd here this morning. So, uh, yeah, Dale gets up and, and announces this great news about more tickets and everything. And so this is literally how our meetings go. He says, okay, so I'll get up and give this good news. And then, Pastor, if you'd get up and say, it's going to be packed and you'd all need to scoot together. That's not how this is supposed to work. You give the bad news, I give the good news, and you see who won. So uh, that is a reminder. Hey, we really do need everybody to scoot together. Uh, it, you know, one of the great things about being a pastor is getting up in front of a crowd and saying if everybody would scoot to the center and then watch them all universally ignore you. And you think, man, I have such influence and power. Uh, it re- it's really wonderful. Hey, we're, we're in line for a wonderful weekend. It is going to be full. We're, we're going to have a full house. And uh, so as you come in, man, scoot to the center, fill it up, make it, make it easy for us. And I know it's hard to scoot to the center because the aisle seat is the holy sacred seat. It's where God sat. And uh, we know that's just where we want to be. So I know, I realize I'm asking you to suffer. And uh, I'm saying it's for the cause of the kingdom that you scoot to the center. And uh, it'll probably mean you get home five minutes later. But we're doing it for Jesus. Amen. And so if you would, is that good enough, Dale? Amen. So if you would, if you would scoot to the center when you get here and help us, uh, help everybody fit in. You know, it, I love Christmas at the Heights and I make it sound like there's something special at our church. Honestly, I love Christmas at the church. I, I, I love the people. I, I love the traditions. I love the message that keeps us centered on what Christmas is about. And, and I really do believe here at the Heights, we have such tremendous opportunity with this month. Every, every single Sunday morning. Gosh, look at the crowd when it's pouring down rain outside. I mean, this is, this is awesome. But the, every Sunday, uh, of course, this weekend with the presentation, Christmas Eve, uh, all of it's such a great opportunity. And I say that to say this. I really want to ask you, will you join me, whether it's for 30 seconds or five minutes, would you pray every day, every day in the month of December that God would use our church to build fellowship and, and community above the body and, and to reach out to new people and, and that we see a great harvest for the gospel. Would you, would you join me in just praying a quick prayer every day that God would use our church and all the things that will be going on uh, this month? And, and we don't maybe always like being shoulder to shoulder and crammed into rooms and traffic. But, hey, let, let's celebrate that there may be some traffic at the heights this month. Amen? That, that is something to celebrate. And it's Christmas! You know, you stop and think about it. If you ask somebody who knows what Christmas is about and somebody who doesn't know what Christmas is about, if you ask both of them what Christmas is about, you're going to get a similar answer. If you ask a believer 
If you ask an unbeliever, if you ask a Christian, if you ask a non-Christian, hey, what's Christmas about? They're all going to say something similar. They're going to say family. Family, friends, being together, that's all going to be included in here. Now, I'd like to think some of us are going to try to maybe infuse Jesus into that answer, right? We do believe he's a part of what Christmas is about. But you know, even those of us that are saying, remember the reason for the season. Well, we're given the same answers they do. Christmas is about family. Christmas is about being together and meeting with people. And, and man, I agree with that. But wouldn't we also all agree, maybe only in here, you joining us online, but wouldn't we also agree, man, if... If I meet with everybody at Christmas, we have the best Christmas gathering. We're going to remember it and tell stories about it for the rest of Christmases to come. We're going to have the best office party in the history of office parties. I'm going to get the gift I've wanted every Christmas of my life. I'm going to get the best bonus I've ever had. If all of that happens and we don't meet Jesus, that's a travesty, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I say travesty. What word do you use there to express how bad it is? If we get everything else that comes with Christmas and we don't meet Jesus. If Christmas is about anything, it's about meeting God and Jesus. And we do need to meet Him. And yes, I'm not talking just to the people in here who maybe are wondering a little bit of what Christmas is about and who this Jesus guy is. I'm talking to all of us. Those of us, this is our decades and decades of Christmases. We know Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We can tell. We need to meet him afresh. We need to meet him anew. Remember, this guy says some wonderful things to us. But he says some awful things. Oh, yeah, he says wonderful things like, man, God loves me. God will forgive me. There's, there's a heaven, and God wants me there and has provided for it, Jesus even told me I could call him dad. That's wonderful. But the same guy says, love your enemies. Wait, what? Now, who are you? Who, are, who, who what? Yeah, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Forgive. Over and over and over and over. Forgive. Hey, if people mock you and make fun of you, if they kill you because you follow me, count yourself blessed. Now, at that point, most of us, any thinking person ought to be saying, now, who are you again? I mean, don't you want to know who can call that out on you? Who, who has that kind of authority? So that's what we're going to use this Christmas season for, to meet afresh this Jesus. And we're going to meet him through the, the Christmas story as told by the apostle Matthew. And we're going to see that, that he specifically has some ways he introduces Jesus to us. You know, when you introduce somebody, you're, you're going to introduce them with, with a, a descriptor. You're going to introduce them with a, if a phrase. If I showed up at your office party to beat all office parties, you'd say, hey, this is Rainy Hahn. He's my, he's my pastor. And just that singular word will tell them something about me. <laughs> what it tells them, that's a little scary. But they'll, they'll get some images in their mind. They'll get some ideas in their mind of who I am and what I'm like. Just from that, that singular word. Do you know Matthew's going to do the same thing? He's going to say, hey, I want you to meet Jesus. He's the promised Messiah. I want you to meet Jesus. He's the Savior of our sins. I want you to meet Jesus. He is the 
son of God. Hey, I want you to meet Jesus. He is the king. I'm gonna, we're we're going to talk about king on Christmas Eve. By the way, I, I think traditionally here for over 20 years, we've done Christmas Eve in the evening. Uh, I don't remember what we did last time Christmas Eve was on a Sunday, but with Christmas Eve being on a Sunday, we're going uh, to keep to our regular Sunday morning schedule on Christmas Eve. So our Christmas Eve services will be in the morning. And on that day, I'm going to talk about Jesus being our king, and I'm going to really address that. You know, in our DNA, we rejected a king. There is a United States of America because we, no, no, no king. No king. So we're going to talk about what is, what is Matthew? What is God saying to us when he says, hey, he's a king? Well, we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve. But today, today, a promised Messiah. We're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 1. Go ahead and open your Bibles or maybe you're using a Bible app and uh, get to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be working through the the Christmas story. And today we're covering the verses that we never read when we read the Christmas story. And we never read these verses because of one word, the fifth word of this verse. It says this, the book of the, you ready for the fifth word? Genealogy. Okay, let me scroll down through. Yeah, verse 18 is where the good stuff begins. Yeah, we run right past it. It's just people, people begetting people, begetting people don't really, don't really need that. Now, I'm telling you something. There's a lot in this genealogy. It's kind of important. So let's, let's get started. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's just start here. This is the most important genealogy ever in the history of genealogies. This is the holy genealogy, the sacred genealogy. Your whole life is based on these next 17 verses. Everything rests on what we're about to read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Hey, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but after six months in Genesis, I kind of feel like I know these guys. I read those names, I'm like, I just had dinner with them this past week. <laughs> it didn't feel good. I don't know who they are. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by the fa- by. Hey, wait, it says Tamar there. Does your translation say Tamar? Tamar's a woman. It doesn't stand out to you and me. You know what? In this culture, that would have, would have stood out. In a Semitic culture, and Jews are a subset of a Semitic people. So when you say Semitic, it's more than just Jews. But at that time, in that culture, uh, they didn't have the highest view of women. You, you didn't put women in, in important things. I don't know if you all know this, but through a lot of history, it's kind of dangerous to be a woman. I, I bet you ladies didn't know that. Uh, you're not always honored and respected for who you are. Hey, I want you to know something. You're honored and respected by God. He's putting you in the most important of genealogies. And, and he doesn't stop there. Watch this. He puts a woman there. Now, again, in that mindset, I would say, hey, Matthew, don't add the women that just causes question marks. It sets people off. They're right away going to wonder, what are you, what are you trying to prove here? What are you? God, God puts her in there. Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nishon. By the way, you can only say those names if you're incredibly, incredibly smart. Um, <laughs> or just say it real fast and everybody will think you know what you're saying. And the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by, there's another woman, Rahab, 
But wow, if Tamar didn't set somebody off, Rahab's going to send them. This is where the wheels come off. Rahab's not only a woman, she's a Gentile. Now, if I'm a Jewish man, I already think a little less of women. But if you're a Gentile, you, this is not a holy genealogy anymore. That's unholy. That's like what I don't want to have anything to do. I mean, this is where you say, God, I don't think you should add Rahab. Uh, he didn't ask me, but if he had, I might have said, you may not want. And you know what gets worse than that? I, I know a lot of you know, because Rahab's not just a woman. She's not just a Gentile. She's a, yeah, she's a prostitute. I'm not saying her whole life was a prostitute. But you know how I just said, hey, this is Randy Hahn, my, my pastor. When we introduce people, we have a descriptor with it. And when we go back to Joshua in the Old Testament, when Rahab is introduced to us before she became a part of the people of God, hey, this is Rahab, the prostitute. Man, folks, I, this is just a genealogy. What a profound statement. Right here, just by the name of Rahab, I can say, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God not only loves you, God wants to use you. God wants to include you. God wants to include you in the most important things he's doing in all of history. If he'll say that about a Gentile prostitute, I promise you, he's going to say that about you. So there's Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Boy, he keeps adding women. I'll talk with the Lord later about this. And Obed, the father, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And by the way, let's go ahead and talk about some of these men. David's a great Bible hero who is an adulterer and a murderer. If God will use them, God will use you. All right? And David was the father. Well, you all get the point now, don't you? I don't have to keep reading off all these names. You know, we're, ultimately what we're building to is we're going to get to verse 16. And, and we get to the star of the show. What, what does it say there? And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the father of... Well, wait a minute. No. It doesn't say Joseph's the father of. It says Joseph's the husband of... Hey, now a man just got... Hey, she, he's with Mary. That's all you need to know. He's with Mary. Yeah, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Okay, so Matthew saying, hey, this is Jesus, the Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the promised one. Christ is a Greek word, Christos. The Hebrew word is Mashiach, Messiah. So Messiah and Christ are the same word, just two different languages. So this is where we're being introduced. This genealogy is God saying, hey, I'm doing what I promised. Hey, I'm doing what I told you was coming all along. And I'll show that even clearer here in just a moment. But let me finish verse 17. So all the generations for Abraham to David. This is fun. What I just read, Abraham to David, that's 14 generations. David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Hey, that's some fun math going on there. We ought to look into that. Just not this morning because I'm doing something different. So, But that's... That's kind of cool. wonder what all that, that means. So, what, what, again, what this genealogy is saying is I'm, I'm fulfilling prophecy. I'm fulfilling all the promises I made in, this, in the product of this genealogy. What, 
what is prophecy? Prophecy is God calling the shot. Okay, whenever I use that phrase, calling the shot, I love to tell the story of Larry Bird. I think I've told it once before, but it was a long time ago, and I know you all forgotten. Uh, maybe unless you saw it on ESPN like me. There's a great story of Larry Bird calling the shot. Larry Bird, of course, played for the Boston Celtics, arguably one of the best basketball players in, in NBA history. And uh, there's a particular game, I believe it was a playoff game, and they were one point behind. There was four to five seconds left. So there's... There's, there's timeout. We got one play. We got one shot. The Celtics are over here drawing up the play. They come out of the huddle, out, out of the timeout. And Larry Bird walks over to his opponent, walks over to the guy guarding him. And by the way, this, this story's told on one of those 30 on 30 ESPN things. The guy he was, that was guarding Larry Bird is the one who's telling the story. And he says, Larry, Larry Bird walked over me and he said in our timeout, uh, we decided we're going to pass the ball into him. He's going to pass it over to me. I'm going to dribble once and take two steps to this spot right here where I'll shoot the game-winning shot, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. He just, you know, like it's kind of like a secret what goes on in the huddle, right? He just came over and told him, and guess what happened? He, he did it. He made the winning. He did exactly what he said he was going to do and shot over him and made. Isn't that kind of like, well, awesome I mean, I, I was watching the show, heard that. I mean, it like, gave, gave, gave me like little tingles and everything. Like, that is really cool. Now, nobody's arguing Larry Bird's skill and ability. We know he's one of the best. That's more than skill and ability. That is kind of like, I don't know, it feels like kind of like a power. I mean, that is, that's awesome. Now, as awesome as that is, and he probably did that more than once, Larry Bird kind of was known for his trash talking and his ability to get in your mind. But uh, what, as incredible as that is, you know, if you watch all of Larry Bird's game film, did you know he missed some shots? Did you know he missed some game-winning shots? I don't know if he ever went over and told anybody else what he was going to do, but I bet if he did, there was probably a few times it didn't quite play out like that. Man, if we're so in awe, because it, it happened at a moment in time, it happened once, how is it you and I are not daily getting goosebumps over God? Daily, just in awe, just of prophecy alone, absolutely nothing else. Because he calls the shot over and over and over from eternity to eternity, and he never misses. You know, even as great as Larry Bird was during that time, you know what he's doing today? The exact same thing I am, watching it on TV. He can't do it today. God still does it today. Man, we should be in awe of God for fulfilled prophecy Alone. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I think I even quoted it recently in Genesis, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I am God, and there is none like me. I am God, and there is no other. From the beginning, I declare the end. From ancient times, things not yet done. Well, you hear what God is saying? I can go back to the beginning of the story, and I can tell you how it's going to play out. I can tell you how it's going to end. And I'm right every single time. I do it over and over and over. And yes, God does that so we can understand his power, his ability, his knowledge. But not just that. He's not just showing off. He's also giving you and I information so we know. We know what we're looking for. We know how to, we know who's it. We, we know so we don't get misled, we don't misunderstood, we don't make a mistake. 
You know, 300 times in the Old Testament, the Messiah is described for us. And Jesus perfectly miss, miss, uh, hits all of those descriptions. 61 times there's what we call major prophecies about the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he meets all 61 of those prophecies. Now, now take a second and look at that, that statement. That's not arguable. That, that's not up for debate. This isn't something we need, we believe in our faith. You know, hey, we believe, can't prove it, but we sure believe it. No, no, all of this is historically measurable, can be historically validated. Okay? That is the truth. Now, let's look at some of these. We'll look at a few in particular related to his birth. That the first one now kind of puts actually all of us in line to potentially be the Messiah, but it's, it's actually kind of important. And the first prophecy is that he would be born of the seed of a woman. He would come from a woman. Now again, well, you know, haven't we all come from a, I mean, I guess I could be the Messiah, but think about what God is accomplishing there. And let me say something real quickly. You see the date 1400 BC. So but beside all of these prophecies, I'm going to show you when that prophecy was given. And then, and, and then of course it's, it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The only date that's a little bit well, we don't know quite how to date that, is that one. 1400 BC is when Moses wrote that down in Genesis, okay? But that's not when that happened. It would have happened, we don't know that it's happened at the beginning of time, right? So that's, that, that dating is the only one that's, well, that's probably, it didn't happen in 1400 BC. That's just when it was, when it was written down. But what, what has happened? There's now sin. There's now separation between God and man. And God says, hey, I'm going to resolve this. I'm going to fix it. Oh, okay. Well, God, how are you going to do that? Are you, are you just going to like wave it all off, absolve it from heaven? No, I'm not going to do it that way. Are you going to send an angel? No, no, I'm not going to do it that way. Well, how are you going to do it? Through you. Through the seed of a woman. Now, we know today God is saying, I'm, I'm going to enter into humanity. They wouldn't have understood that in Genesis. But he's saying, I'm going to enter humanity. I'm going to do this. I'm going to solve this problem through you. Now, think of how encouraging that would have been to Eve. I mean, Eve has just, wow. I mean, messed up everything, destroyed everything. And instantly God is saying, I'm going to solve this. And Eve, I'm going to do it through you. Man, what hope, what, 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 what encouragement. And he makes this promise to her. And I imagine she took that promise as not being something that would be way, way off. I imagine she took it very immediate. I imagine she starts having children. Are you it? Are you it? Are you the one? And then she started having grandchildren and looking at it. And then great-grandchildren. And I imagine she's telling me, hey, God promised me it's going to come through us. It's, it's, it's going to be one, one of us. And they're looking. And you know, the, it, the promise took time and time goes on. And what do we do? We stop looking. Somewhere they stop looking with each birth if this might be it. But, but Eve was told that. Now again, this one's pretty wide open, right? At, at the moment, if we stop right here, every single one of us could be the Messiah. So with the next prophecies, all the future prophecies coming in the Bible, we're going to narrow the field. Well, like take this second one. It kind of narrows the field. Born of a virgin. <laughs> 
that narrows the field. <laughs> we, we are now no longer all possibly an option for the Messiah. You know, interesting to look at this. There are those that are going to enter the Bible, enter verses like this, and they want to remove the supernatural. That, that, hey, there's no miracle required here. That there's not this, this virgin idea of a virgin birth. So you take that word virgin. That word can mean a young woman. With, with no reference to whether her sexual life has begun or not. It can just mean a young woman. So no, no miracle required here. The only problem with interpreting it that way is what she's going to name this child. Emmanuel. Okay, that means God with us, right? We sing that all the time, so we've kind of become immune to that name. It's not really awesome to us. But what she just says is, I'm going to have a child and I'm going to name him God. Okay, well, so what happens next is they stone you. That's blasphemy. You do know why they put Jesus on the cross, right? You don't get to say you're God. You don't get to name your child God. That would be, at the very minimum, we're going to call that a sin. You know, this would be the beginning of wondering when they write some of these prophecies, if they even fully understand what they're writing. Isaiah is writing this, but it's being communicated through the Spirit. And as a matter of fact, not only is Isaiah writing this, but there is an immediate application of this prophecy. There is, there's going to be a young woman who's going to give birth. And if you get on in chapter 7, it says, hey, here's what you can look for right here and right now for that. But then it also has a larger, more future meaning because that was not God. That was not God with us. And so we, you, you've, you've got this prophecy here in, in Isaiah seven fourteen, And of course, it is fulfilled in the person of, of Jesus in Matthew. Now, you notice I just said, of course. Yeah, that's our faith. That's what we believe. We know the story, right? Now, somebody can rightly, I just said rightly, can come back to me and say, no, wait, 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 time out. You can't prove that. You, you, there's no actual way you can prove that a, a, a woman gave birth to a child as a virgin. Okay, I'm going to give you that one for, for a second. I'll come back. I'll get one in your column, uh, but I'll come back. All right? That's a little supernatural. Let's pretend for a moment we can't prove it. A third prophecy, this child will be the son of God. Now, that's really an important one to attach to the first prophecy. Coming through the seed of a woman means the Messiah is going to be human. Go ahead and say it. Human. Human. That's right. Yeah. But then this Psalm 2 says, oh, well, it's not just human. It's, it's going to be God. Okay. So that's a little weird. How do we understand this? A, entirely deity, entirely human. But we'll just say the prophecy is this will be God's son. And I see the fulfillment of that. Matthew 3 is not actually the Christmas story. That's when Jesus was baptized. And you remember when he came up out of the water, they heard a voice from Heaven that said, this is my beloved son. Okay? Now, again, somebody can say, okay, wait a minute. You're making all kinds of claims. You can't prove that either. Well, no, that one I can prove because there's there was eyewitnesses there. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just don't believe it. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Okay, but there was an eyewitness there. There's eyewitnesses that saw, that heard this. Once you have, I mean, this is how it works in a court of law, right? Once there's an eyewitness that gives a testimony, now the burden is on you to explain why that witness is lying. 
or why that witness was deceived and doesn't know what they saw and heard. But there is eyewitness testimony to this. Not only eyewitness testimony, but eyewitnesses that are going to give their life because of this. They're going to be martyred because of this. Ten of the eleven apostles were murdered telling this story. So now you've got to also explain why you believe they died for what they knew to be a lie. And they couldn't have all been deceived and tricked by something. So now we are potentially starting to get a little bit of evidence. But not all of the prophecies are supernatural in nature. A virgin birth, supernatural. A voice from heaven, supernatural. Look at number four. Number four is also very important. Because remember, all we've got so far, if you take out the supernatural... All we've got so far is it's going to be born of a woman. Again, well, that's all of us. Well, no, let's start narrowing it down. Got to come through the line of Abraham. It's going to be a Jew, right? Got to come through the line of Abraham. Well, Abraham had a lot of sons through Isaac. Well, Isaac had a couple of sons through Jacob. Well, Jacob had 12 sons, Judah. Well, Judah was a huge tribe, one of the largest. Yeah, through the family line of Jesse and through the house of David. You see, with each of these prophecies, God's narrowing where the Messiah is coming from. He's giving you and I the ability to go, no, you're not it. You're not. Well, you might be, but no, you're. Now, watch this. This is how this works. If I could prove to you, I have no idea how I would do this. If I could prove to you that I was born of a virgin, I mean, I could prove it. But I'm not in the family line of Abraham on down to David, then I'm not the Messiah. Now, I may have this really supernatural special thing that I could prove happened to me, but still, I'm not of the family line of Abraham. You see, it's not one of the prophecies. It's not meeting a threshold at 75%, you now qualify to be the Messiah. No, you you have to fulfill all of the prophecies, all of them work together. Number five, okay, just a little bit of information going to come from Bethlehem. We love Bethlehem, don't we? A lot of great Christmas songs include Bethlehem, got the babe in the manger there. Hey, that's prophesied over 700 years before. And Bethlehem, that could sound like, okay, there's nothing supernatural about this, but but look at how it ends. His goings forth, that's their fancy way of saying his beginning. His beginning is from long ago, from the days of eternity. You know, don't we think of the birth of someone as its beginning, their beginning? You know, hey, the beginning of Jesus is there in Bethlehem. Micah's saying, hey, when you see the Messiah come and he's born there in Bethlehem, just a little heads up, that's not his beginning. He doesn't come to us from Bethlehem. He comes to us from eternity. Again, I wonder when Micah wrote that, when the spirit impressed that on his heart, did he even understand what that meant? Did, did he even understand what it was? Well, I don't know. I'm not suggesting he did or it didn't, but that's kind of weird because most of us are beginning is birth. And yet God said, when you see the birth, that that's not the beginning. Uh, another one, number six, the gifts. Did you know the gifts were prophesied? Now, this is another one that doesn't seem huge. I mean, I, well, actually, in American culture, we give gifts. I, I don't know if every culture does that. It seems like they, they do, right? We, we give gifts. We just had a new baby in our family, little Max. He's not little. Uh, Ma- Max came into our family, and before, gosh, before he even got here, we had a baby shower, had it at our house, and I know he got gifts. Here's eyewitness evidence. I loaded them in the car. 
Okay, that, that is a fact that that happened. Okay, so Max is in line to be the Messiah. Well, no, it, it didn't just say, you know, di- diapers and formula, <laughs> diapers and onesies. No, it didn't, didn't say it. golden frankincense. Now, that is, I, I'm going to suggest that Jesus is not the only baby that's ever gotten golden frankincense. But what kind of babies get that kind of gift? Royalty. Royalty gives and gets that kinds of gift. Really wealthy people get that kind of gift. That doesn't happen in Bethlehem. That doesn't happen when you're looking for a place to give birth out in a stall. And yet, you know what? That, that's exactly what is prophesied. You see, folks, this is what prophecy is. Over and over and over, God's telling you and I what to look for. He's calling the shot. Yes, it shows his power and ability. Yes, we should be in awe of him. But it's also helping you and I make sure we don't miss it. We don't mistake it. Uh, we, we don't misunderstand who the Messiah is. And it doesn't stop. It, it doesn't stop with his birth. It, it goes on into his life, death, and resurrection, and there are some incredibly specific. If you haven't been impressed yet, uh, there's so many more prophecies coming that get so incredibly specific. I love Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Go, go home and read those this afternoon. Psalm 22, written by David in the 900s, probably close to 1000 BC. Isaiah 53, written by Isaiah in probably around 740 BC. But when you read those, it looks like that David and Isaiah were standing at the cross writing the details, like they, like they were there that day. It's incredible how specific that it is. And we can validate when those were written, and we can validate what happened. Look at a list. This is uh, 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 just a handful of other things. You, you see Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, along with some other passages up there. Folks, it, it was prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced. Did you know crucifixion didn't exist when David wrote those words? Again, did he fully understand? Was he just being poetic? Who knows if David even fully understood what he was writing, but he talks about hands and feet being pierced when the, an execution by crucifixion didn't even exist. It, go, go up a couple. It, it was uh, prophesied he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver and that the betrayer would throw the money back into the house of God. That happened. It always kills me that one of the Pharisees didn't... You know, they had a meeting. They said, we've got to kill this guy. Hey, he's got one of his disciples that's going to betray him. Let's pay him. I mean, there was a meeting about this. How does one of the prophecies say, uh, guys, we can't, we can't pay him 30? I mean, they know the prophecies. Surely one of them says, hey, 28, 35, but not 30. We can't do it. His enemies who are killing him to show that he's not God fulfill prophecy. I mean, folks, this is, this is what it looks like. All, all these, some very specific, bones not broken. Okay, that's not a big deal. He's on a cross, right? Most of the people who died on a cross finished that death by their legs being broken. That was absolutely common. That was absolutely there. Why didn't they break his legs? Because 700 years earlier, God said, you ain't breaking his legs, right? All, all of that's being prophesied. Again, giving you and I confidence. How do I see who he is? How do I identify what I am to be looking for so I don't make a mistake? 
And would you believe that people look at all of this and walk away from it? People look at all this and say, nah. And they have arguments. Like like some will say, I've read, well, yeah, that all happened because he did it on purpose. Yeah, I'm confident he did it all on purpose. Now, I'm being kind of silly there. What they're implying, what they're saying is that Jesus and or the apostles manipulated the story, made up a story that matched these prophecies. I mean, okay, well, let's go, let's go with that. Let's go with that idea for a moment. I mean, you and I can't say that couldn't have happened. I mean, it could have. I mean, Jesus could have gone to Judas and said, hey, listen, I need you to do something. You're going to look bad forever, but I promise when we get to heaven, I'll clear it up, okay? And, and he could have said, I need you to betray me. When you go to the Pharisees, you've got to demand 30. Could something like that have happened? I mean, I can't say it didn't happen. Or maybe Jesus had nothing to do with it. Maybe the apostles got together and they're, they're writing a story and they say, well, Judas is dead. Let's hang it on him. I shouldn't have said hang, no pun intended. Uh, you know, let, let's put it on him. He's not here. Could they have done that? I mean, you think about it. I can't say for a fact that nothing like that happened. There are some of these prophecies. If I want to make myself look like the Messiah or I've got a group of friends that want to make me, that they could... They could make that. But how do, you, how do you manipulate where I'm born? How do you manipulate the family that I'm born into? You see, you do end up with some prophecies that the only way you could manipulate that is if, well, you're God. And I think that's the point. He's God. No, it, 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 you, you can't manipulate the entire story. That's impossible. You know, some will say, well, it, it, it was random. You know, it's, it's just a coincidence. Now, to me, that sounds kind of dumb. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. When you start denying Scripture and you start de- denying God's truth, do you know you're ultimately believing in something that takes more faith than what you're rejecting. Because a lot of people, and I mean, we're a very scientific culture of, of, of you know, I, I don't believe in what I can't see, what I can't touch. You'll end up believing in something that takes more faith than, than what you're denying. And, and so to, to say that, that this just is a coincidence that somebody met these prophecies. Now, let's try to understand where something's com- coming, somebody's coming from. I mean, Jesus obviously is not the only person born in Bethlehem, Right? Other people were born in Bethlehem, and all of them were born of a woman. So there's two prophecies. And you know, at that time, up, up, up really through the first century A.D., up through that time, if you were born in Bethlehem, pretty good chance you were a Jew, which meant you were in the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you were born in Bethlehem, that's where David's family was from. So if Jesus would have spit in the tube and sent it off to Ancestry.com... Good chance he'd have gotten back. He was of, you know, I'm, hey, I'm in the line of David. So you see, somebody just being born in Bethlehem can start racking off some of these prophecies. Hey, I, I fulfilled it. I just, just showed up and I'm fulfilling prophecy. But Jesus didn't meet a few of the prophecies. Remember that. He met all of the prophecies. He said, I don't believe in the supernatural ones. There's still over 50 prophecies that don't require supernatural engagement. 
still over 50 that he meets. A guy named Peter Stoner, uh, a mathematician, wrote in a journal called Science Speaks. And he, and he worked on the probability of one person just randomly landing on eight prophecies. And the answer that he worked out and came up, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know how this works. One times 10 to the 17th power. One times is the chance that one person just randomly meets eight prophecies. Now, what is one time? You know what a one in 10 chance is, right? In 10 chances, it's me one time. Okay, well, this is one times 10 to the 17th, one with 17 zeros behind it. One of our mathematicians came up after because I didn't, what do you call that? I mean, a trillion is one with nine zeros. We're, we're added eight more. We're out. So that is quadrillion. I don't, I don't know what a quadrillion other than it's a one with 17. I know this. It's a statistical impossibility. It's a statistical, you see, you start to have to believe in something of a miraculous nature to, to believe that somebody just randomly did this. And that was only eight prophecies. He fulfilled 61. Oh, he's made it clear, hasn't he? God's awesome. Way to go, God. You called the shot. You, you belong on ESPN 30 on 30. We should do a show on you. What does that mean to you and me? What, what does it mean? I, okay, so there's this Bible and there's, there's these prophecies and I guess Jesus met them. What, what, what does that mean to me at Christmas 2023? I want to suggest four things real quickly. Four things this means to you and me. It means we can be sure Jesus is the one from heaven. What do I mean by that? Folks, well, first of all, there's believing in nothing. That's one option. And then there's all kinds of gods and all the gods, I guess all the gods, most of the gods, they have holy books, they have prophets, they have people saying, ours is the one, ours is, ours is the one, come, come to ours. And I think a lot of us end up thinking, well, you probably choose the God based on where you're born, right? I was born in America, so I'm probably Christian. You know, if I was born in China, I'd, I'd be something else. I'd be Buddhist, uh, you know? And so we, we just assume that it just, it's all based on where you're, where you're born. How do you know? How do you sort through it. I mean, there are a lot of people saying I'm God, a lot of books that have the word holy in front. How, how do you know? I'm going to suggest to you that fulfilled prophecy all by itself, nothing else in the Bible, fulfilled prophecy all by itself puts Jesus and the Bible so far separated from everything else going on. It doesn't matter if there's a second place. Everything else is utterly irrelevant. This stands out that much in just fulfilled prophecy alone. It means, hey, you know what? I don't know everything, but I think I'm going to bank everything on this guy. I'm going to start looking at this. I want to follow the rest of his life. As a matter of fact, fulfilled prophecy alone is why I would say the second thing. While it does take faith, it is not non-intellectual to believe in Jesus. Yes, indeed, it takes faith to believe in a virgin birth. That's not normal. I don't expect that. I don't understand that. Virgin birth, walking on water, being raised from the dead. But when I look at all of the other things that can be measured and can be proven, it's pretty clear, hey, with the person of Jesus Christ, we're not working with something normal. 
Something very profound, something very different, something supernatural is going on here. And so, yes, while it takes faith, it's not faith in being stupid. It's faith based on the evidence. We do it all the time. You and I do things every day where based on what I've seen, based on the evidence, I'm going to get on an airplane. I mean, you throw metal in the air and it comes down in a bad way every single time. But I've got a lot of evidence that we can make metal fly. And so I get on that. You see what I'm saying? There is evidence that we take steps of faith. The evidence is there. You know, when I say the evidence, obviously for you and me, for good reason, the Bible's a lot of that evidence, right? And it's never been wrong. There's no place you can prove it historically inaccurate. But I get, I respect, a lot of people say, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not reading the Bible, I don't respect the Bible, but we have documents, we have writings outside of the Bible. No, not other religious writings, non-religious writings, where we can verify, we can validate the person and the date of things like Jesus. Jesus was a real person, he was really born in Bethlehem, he was really betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, he really was crucified. That, that's not, you can't debate that. That's not our faith because I need something to believe in. That's historically verifiable. Not every writing, historical writing believes this, but they all reported the reports of his resurrection. That, that is real. So based on evidence, there's reason to step into faith. It's not blind faith. It's not non-intellectual to do that. Number three, it demands a response. You can't shrug your shoulders and walk away. That is the, that kind of indifference is the height of ignorance. That kind of indifference you, you are expressing as you walk away from this. I don't know. I don't know what it means. You're expressing the height of your stupidity or you're expressing the height of your love for sin or both at the very same time. But it's not intellectual what you're doing. Intellectual honesty at the very minimum says, hey, I need to understand more about who this is. I need to understand what he says. I need to understand what else validates this, is evidence. I, it demands a Because that's the way God does things. He doesn't say take it or leave it. He gives you the freedom to choose, but he makes it so that you have no choice but to do the right and the good and the smart thing. And lastly, folks, doesn't it give hope? Doesn't it build our faith? You know, I trust not everybody in here, but a lot of us in here, most of us in here, we, we believe in Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. That is my faith. I've not just believed it for a little while. I've, I've believed it for decades. I would imagine this is a room full of people who can say that, watching online people that can say that. But even us that believe that, we go through things, don't we? And every now and then I say, do I really believe in a virgin birth? Did that, I mean, don't you every now and then just say in yourself, did that really happen? I mean, just like that. And, and man, if that little moment of questioning happens to coincide when maybe when life is just kind of beating the fool out of me, that can be a rough place. Boy, fulfilled prophecy is a profound way of God speaking still today into your life and my life and saying, look, this all really happened. I'm real. 
God entering this world through Mary is real. The resurrection is real. Who I am and what I can be in you, it's very, very real. Boy, I tell you, that Christmas story really is incredible, isn't it? And it's not a myth. It's not a tale because we're religious people and we, you know, we need something to hang on to. No, it, it happened. It happened in history. We can validate it. And we can verify it. What an incredible entrance into this world. And I would suggest that demands incredible devotion. When we get to December 26th, and, and, and we look back over the last, what's today, the second? We look back over the last, the third? We look back over the last 23 days. In your life, in my life, will we see 23 days of just incredible devotion to celebrating how God entered this world for me? When we get to December 24, the 2024, Christmas 2024. He said, Pastor, don't run me out to 24. I'm trying to grasp that Christmas 23 is here. When we get out to Christmas 24, will we look back over a year and see a, a, a life of faith and obedience, a sacrifice, a worship that can only be described by the word incredible because how he entered this world for me is so Incredible. What would make your devotion to Christ incredible? Doesn't this sound like the, okay, now the start of part two of my sermon? And, I, and I'm supposed to here tell you three, four, five things that would be incredible devotion? Let's do this. Let's call it a day. And sometime today or tomorrow, you ask God. God, you know where I am. You know what's going on in my life. You you know what I'm thinking and feeling. You know where I'm strong. You know where I'm weak. You know where I believe in you. You know where I'm not quite sure. God, you know everything about me. God, with everything you know about me, what right now could I do that would be described as incredible devotion to you as I celebrate your incredible entry into this world? Can we just ask him? I think he'll answer. Give it a run. Give it a run. See what he says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself, for every one of us, that we will have the courage, the faith to pray that. You'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is open and sensitive. And you will show us what would be incredible devotion to you as we approach Christmas. And we will understand that whatever you show us Oh, you're so very worthy of it. You're, you're, you're only worthy of the incredible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.